0: Well, I hope that uh, you have uh, been able to come already to Winter Wonder if you haven't uh, as was mentioned earlier here in this room but then hopefully all at our other venues and campuses that we have uh, two more uh, I hate to call them performances but whatever they are uh, this afternoon and I, I hope you make it you know I I don't know how to say this <clears throat> rightly but you know I before I came to Scottsdale Bible uh, I pastored other churches, obviously, and most churches have some sort of Christmas program, and I had gotten into the habit over the years of trying to tell people, hey, come to our Christmas program, it's really good, even though I just lied. And, and I, I just, you know, and, and I didn't mean to lie, but you know, you do your best, you give it your best shot, but you know, we're churches, and you know, we don't always have sometimes the best talent and, and such, and so you do the best you can. It's like the opposite here. I'm not bragging or anything, but the, the quality of Troy and his team, and almost all of them are volunteers. I mean, it's just what God has blessed our church with. Yep. is it's pretty incredible and and more than that the heart that goes behind it a heart to give a gift to our community to present the uh christmas message the gospel in a life-giving you know engaging artistic way is pretty phenomenal so uh all that to say if you haven't come you're going to probably want to try to this afternoon uh some good football matchups but this is more important so try to get here if you can (laughs) We're going to dive right in, so why don't we bow right now and pray. God, uh, many of us love Christmas. We love uh, what this season brings to our lives, relationally, uh, hope-wise, even, Lord, spiritually. Uh, Lord, some of us wrestle with Christmas because it it brings some difficulties, uh, whether missing loved ones or, uh, Lord, reminding us of some of the hopelessness that we have. And, God, it's just a difficult season. So I pray that as we uh, talk now a bit intelligently and from your word, about Christmas and how it involves us that God whether we are people who love this season or people who struggle with this season God uh, lift us all in our sights to you and to what you offer us in this time and I pray this in Christ's name amen. So I want to dive right in this morning as we make our way toward Christmas this year here at our church following the flow and the logic of the first half of the first chapter of the Gospel of John, uh, here is the main point that I need you guys to wrestle with this morning. And it's simply this, that if you follow Jesus, you are his witness. I I got nothing more for you to wrestle with this morning than this, because this is where the text is going to take us. If you follow Jesus, if you say that you're a Christian here this morning and a believer in him, a follower of him, you are de facto his witness. Now, I would submit to you that right off the bat, when the average Christian today sees or hears this point, we naturally are confronted with a variety of differing and varying emotions, I mean, in one sense, we think, yeah, sure, I get it. I'm his witness. I do my best to be a good Christian, to love and to give, to be generous, to live as best I can, even to let others know that Jesus is the reason for the season and things like that. A witness. I'm cool with that. But in another sense, let's be honest with ourselves, we feel pressure. I have to be his witness. (laughs) I have to share the gospel. We even call it witnessing. And I have to be winsome and bold, but not too pushy and theologically correct so that I get it right. And I have to answer questions that I might not be prepared to answer. In fact, I'm not even sure I get the answer when my pastor gives them. I have to be a witness. And it feels awkward at times and even defeating at times to be a witness. I've been a Christian, as many of you know, for over 30 years now. When I first became a Christian in the early 1980s, I was confronted with this idea of witnessing or being his witness. I'd never heard that word really outside of a court system, you know, before I became a Christian. And, and I was a little bit daunted by it. Everybody's saying, you know, you got a witness now and you're his witness. And, and about two years into my Christianity, I was in a Christian bookstore and I, I, I saw a book that I bought for the title alone. Here's a picture of the book. It was called, I Hate Witnessing. (laughs) And and I bought it because it it showed a guy on the cover who was a business guy, I think 1980s, who looks so dejected. He's got a Bible in his hand there. And and the obvious, uh, you know, implication here is that he's discouraged with this thing called witnessing. And it was actually written by an Australian evangelist, Dick Irons, great book on how to be a better witness. And so I got to tell you, when we hear a point like we're going to look at here today, that if you follow Jesus, you are his witness, which is rather straightforward, no-nonsense kind of statement, I have to believe that there's a divergence of emotional responses within us, and I get that. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want us to slow down for a few minutes during this Christmas season in front of this point today, and I want to try to understand what the Bible is getting at behind this concept of witness. And in the process, I hope to round off some of the rough edges for us and see if we can't find more peace and freedom with this reality of us being called his witnesses. And so let's begin by reading about this uh, call to be his witness in John chapter 1. If you brought a Bible with you this morning, we're going to read just three verses here initially and then reference some others. So John chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, if you didn't bring a Bible, then it's on your outline in front of you or you can direct your attention to the screen. John 6 verses, or John ch- chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Now, some of you more technical and even contrarian people are thinking right now well this doesn't say that we're his witness Jamie in fact it says John's his witness John was sent from God John came to be a witness it doesn't mention us at all so your main point is wrong well technically you're right but I'm not a dope so we're going to get to that in just a minute but first let's understand what this passage is saying in the context that it's given here and then I'm going to show you how I think it applies to you and me So in the context of John chapter 1, discussing Jesus coming into this world, you got a reference last week, if you weren't here, get online and look at it, it's what theologians call the incarnation, Uh, we looked at that last week, this idea of God becoming a man in Jesus. Verse 6 here all of a sudden switches gears from verses 1 through 5 and mentions that in addition to Jesus, God coming to earth, God sent a man as well named John. Now, we know that John here is none other than John the Baptist, a forerunner to Jesus, whom all the other gospel writers mention as well, who was a prophet-like person who would both prepare for the coming of Jesus as well as point to Jesus when he finally gets here. And it's interesting, in all the other gospel accounts, now don't miss this, that talk about John the Baptist. He is described as one who came preaching, as one who came to prepare the way, as one who came to baptize, as one who came to confront the religious leaders. However, none of them mention him as a witness. Only John calls John the Baptist a witness. And he does it three times here in verses 7 and 8. And then he will use this word witness three more times in the rest of this chapter, also in light of John the Baptist, for a total of six times in this chapter alone. But that's just the beginning. Because then the writer of the Gospel of John will go on to use this term witness, get this, 41 more times in the remaining 20 chapters of his Gospel. While the other Gospel writers, who don't mention uh, this idea of witness in light of John the Baptist at all, will only use the word witness a total of six times in the totality of their Gospel writing. So add it all up, in utilizing this word or idea of witness, it's John 47 times, Matthew, Mark, and Luke 6 times. That's the background of this idea or word of witness. And so it's obvious that there's something to this concept or idea of witness that is core to the Gospel of John. Even to this discussion of Jesus coming into this world here in chapter 1. So what is it? It's an interesting word here in John, witness. It's the Greek word, marturion, or its noun form, martus. And it literally means, now get this, one who remembers, one who can tell about something. So like today, it was a legal term in the Greco-Roman world of the New Testament where somebody would give written or oral testimony about a personal experience, something that they had either partook in or that was made known to them. So if you're called for as a witness today in a court of law, you would give personal testimony to that which you have experienced, either to what you were involved in or maybe what you witnessed directly or heard others say or do. It's a witness, one who remembers, one who can tell about something. And because back then, 2,000 years ago, they didn't have video cameras, audio recorders, or traffic cams, (laughs) this idea of witness was taken very seriously in the New Testament world. And the reason that that's important is that this word, in the mind of the original readers here, would connote things like deliberation, clarity, almost an obsession with getting the facts right. And this is why, by the way, that the early church translated the original gospel witnesses, the original gospel writings, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, into two different languages... And by the time the first few centuries had elapsed after Christianity, there was over 15,000 Latin copies, 5,000 Greek copies of the, of the New Testament with hardly any ability to, to copy them other than to handwrite them because they didn't have a printing press. They took this idea of witness very seriously, wanting to make sure that they got it right. And the reason that a witness was and is so important back then, and even today, is because witness establishes truth. Let me repeat that. It's really important that you see this. Witness establishes truth. And we all know this. It's why in most states here in the United States today, if you get married, you have to have a witness. Some of you regret that, but that's for another sermon. The reality is is that you have to have somebody there to verify that you said I do and that he or she said I do. It's a witness. It's why in most court proceedings you have witnesses. Why? To get to the truth of what took place. It's why when you sign an important document, a legal document, many times it requires a witness. Why? To make sure that the truth of what you're signing is verified by a third party. Witnesses verify truth. We all know this, and though we're going to put this together for us spiritually in just a minute, what you simply need to see at this point is that it was the same reason and logic behind this idea of witness as John is writing here that God is after in this term. In other words, God likes this idea of a witness because it verifies that his son came to this earth that he's the sole savior of the world and God calls for and uses witnesses there was a man sent from God and his name was John and he bore witness to the light coming into the world and and that's very very important for us to see so you got witness light which is Jesus that leads to belief the truth of what God wants from us So witnesses, as we've already established, simply share what they know and experience, now see, so that truth can be revealed. And in the Christian realm, the truth that God wants to get at is that Jesus is real, he really existed, he was God come in the flesh, he died on a cross for our sins, and that we all need to believe and trust in him and part and parcel of God's methodology to bring an unconvinced world to the point of belief and faith in Jesus is this idea of witness. Now, one last thing before we put this all together. While staying philosophical and biblical in our understanding of witness, in Jesus' day, what you also need to realize is that they had usually multiple witnesses from varying vantage points, In other words, just like today, where the more witnesses you have and the more different kinds of witnesses you have, say in a court of law, the better, it was the same in Jesus' day. The more witnesses and the different kinds of witnesses you have, the better the argument was made. And this is where the use of this term witness, I'm telling you guys, literally explodes in the Gospel of John. And it's where it now involves you and me. Let me explain. Do you remember when I said earlier that this word witness is used 47 times in the Gospel of John, six with John the Baptist, and then 41 other times? Well, it's interesting. When you track all 47 uses of this word or idea of witness through the Gospel of John, and then even some of it outside of John, you find no less, get this, than seven different kinds of witnesses to the reality of Jesus, who he is and why he came. Let me very, very briefly walk you through these. This will be important as we put this together in just a moment here. So look up here on the screen, and then all the venues and campuses, you're already looking at your screen. But notice here what I put up there for you. This is good stuff. Notice seven witnesses to Jesus in the Gospel of John. Obviously, first you got God the Father. John 5, verses 31 and 32 say, Jesus is speaking, If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. And the Father who sent me has borne witness about me. So Jesus made it very clear that the, God the Father bore witness that Jesus really was the Son. Then notice a second line of witness, Jesus himself, John 8:14. Jesus answered, if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true because I know where I came from and where I'm going. So second line of witness, Jesus bore witness of himself. Then you have God the Spirit bearing witness about Jesus, John 15, 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And then, interestingly, you have a fourth line of witness. You got the works of Jesus. John 5:36. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. So Jesus said: just look at my works, and they'll tell you who I am. And then you got the scriptures, they bear witness. By the way, all the same Greek word, marturion, martus here. The scriptures, John five thirty nine. You search the scriptures because you think that by them you have eternal life. It is they that bear, say it with me, witness about me. And then a sixth line of evidence, you have John the Baptist, which you've already seen is a witness. And here's where it finally culminates, and this is so cool, that as we track this word witness, In the Gospel of John, it's used then on multiple occasions to talk about human beings, normal people just like you and me, who become witnesses. So John 4.39, the Samaritan woman, it says, Many Samaritans from the town believed in Jesus because of the woman's witness. And then John 12.17, it says, The crowd that had been with Jesus when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. And then Jesus says in John 15 about the disciples, and you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. And so maybe now you can see why this idea of witness culminates in the very last words of Jesus before he ascended into heaven in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Look up here on the screen. Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my, say it with me, witnesses. Witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the utter ends of the earth. And so what I simply need you to see right now, because this is going to be so life-giving when we put this together, is that you got a chorus of witnesses, multiple witnesses from multiple vantage points that eventually even involves us as followers of Jesus today. That's what you got going on here. And though we're going to get to more of this in just a minute, if nothing else, please see at this point that when you and I are included in this reality of being his witness, we're a part of a potent lineup. Amen? I mean, we're a part of a first string team that make up the witnesses of Jesus coming into this world. I mean, we're just bearing light, we're going to see that in a minute, but we got six other credible witnesses alongside of us, not the least of which are the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Scriptures, the works of Jesus, other holy men like John the Baptist. God tacks you and me alongside his A-team of witnesses and says, if you're my follower, I also include you (coughs) in being a witness. And I know what some of you probably are thinking at this point. You're thinking, well, Jamie, this is not taking the pressure off. (laughs) I mean, you said you wanted to round off some of the jagged edges of being his witness, and now you line us up with the Trinity and with John the Baptist and with the works of Jesus and with the Bible itself. That's not helping. But actually it does. Because believe it or not, this term uh, witness is pregnant with meaning. Uh, uh, And life-giving, even freeing meaning that once you get that though God calls you a witness and once you get that he lines you up with all these other witnesses and says, be my witness, once you start to understand what this really entails, it really is more liberating and life-giving than we think. As we wrap up, I want to make three observations in applicational form that flow right out of this theology here in John of witness. Three things that this understanding of witness calls you and me to, get this, three things that we can each do, I know you can do this as a follower of Jesus, that aren't as pressure filled as you think, but really become a part of God's plan. And here's the first thing, as you act as a witness of the incarnate Jesus, simply share what you know and have experienced. Let's go back to the core of what it means to be a witness. Did you catch it earlier? You're just giving verbal and or written or even action movement in your life to that which you have experienced and that which you know. That's what a witness is. And and though we don't have time to explore this in depth this morning, what's fascinating as you read ahead in this first chapter of John's gospel is that all John the Baptist is going to go on to do Is share witness that which he does know and that which he has experienced in Jesus. (coughs) Nothing more and nothing less. Uh, So, for instance, if you were to read on, and I'm going to hopefully you'll read it later, as you read on, uh, John's going to go on in verses 15 and then 30 to share that this Jesus, and he says it four times, ranks before me. That's John's first message, John the Baptist, as he's a witness. He says, This dude, that's in the margins, ranks before me. He's greater than I am. Not necessarily the core of the gospel, amen? I mean, it's not exactly like you're going, okay, ranks before you. That's the the first thing that John the Baptist says. Why is that important? Because that's what he knows. That's what he's experienced in his relationship with with God, Jesus, coming into this world. Then, in verses 29 and 34, after he says he ranks before me, he goes on to share and I quote, that Jesus will take away the sin of the world because he is literally the son of God, God incarnate, come to this earth. Now we're getting more to the core. Now this is part of the gospel stuff. We're steeped in sin, as we saw last week. We're separated from God. God sent Jesus to be our sin bearer, and through him we can find forgiveness that our souls are longing for. That was the second thing that John would go on to share. Then... In verses 32 and 33, as he wraps up his discussion, we find John sharing that though he baptized people with water, getting them ready for Jesus coming into this world, he says that when they finally believe and interact with Jesus, their lives will become baptized with the Holy Spirit, who will then become the very seat of their power, conviction, revelation, and even joy. And so though John shares uh, maybe some other things in verses 19 through 34, really, as far as I can tell, is is that these three things are the gist of it, that he ranked before me, that he's the one, the Lamb of God, who came to take away the sin of the world, and that he's going to infuse you with life-giving Holy Spirit power. And what I find incredibly freeing and liberating when I get that is that John is simply sharing, bearing witness to that which he knows and has experienced nothing more and nothing less and when you look closely at all of the new testament guys and even the old testament and all the players that's really all they do and they do it all very differently each just bearing witness now, you try reading it later i don't have time to read it now but if you go to first john john's letter toward the end of the new testament The first four verses, he he very poetically says, you know, that which we've seen, that which we've heard, that which we've held and tasted and seen with our hands, this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. I'm a witness. Because John had literally been with Jesus physically on this earth. But then you flip over to Luke in the first four verses of Luke's gospel. And because Luke was not one of the original 12 disciples, uh, Luke says, hey, Theophilus, you, you know, those things which I have heard and tried to verify and looked into myself, these things I'm going to witness to or proclaim to you right now. A very, very different approach than John. And that should give us freedom and liberty here to realize that even these A players in the New Testament were simply called as witnesses to talk about that which they knew that which they had experienced in their own words through their own personality. And I think that's the first thing that we need to do to try to to get the jagged edges off of this term witness here, is just realize that what God expects of you as a follower of Jesus is simply to share, be witness to that which you know and that which you've experienced. You know, when I first became a, a Christian, um, people pulled me aside very quickly and, and shared with me how to share my faith in a canned, prefabricated way. Do you guys remember those days? We still do it now, and I think there's some value in it. You know, the four spiritual laws and and the Roman road and you know the cliff and all the other things how we communicate our faith. There's value in that because it helps get the content down. But the danger in it isn't this true is that when we go to be a witness as we're gonna talk more in just a second here, it can come across as kind of canned and prefabricated. And, and that's where sometimes I think we feel the pressure is it you're on an airplane, Barry, you know, and somebody has spiritual interests, you're like, oh, stink, I gotta be his witness. And, and so then you think, you know, and I gotta somehow get it right and share this and get the content down and this and that. And Before you know it, you feel all this pressure. And, and I think sometimes what we just need to remember is that though there is content to the gospel and God wants us to get to the content, he wants us to do it in our own way, given our own experiences, sharing what we know. So, so how does that work? There's times where I'm on an airplane and, you know, I, I can't escape spiritual conversations because the question, some, the, the, the moment somebody asks me what I do uh, and I say I'm a pastor, uh, one of two things happens. Either they, they, they go, oh, as long as you're happy, you know, something like that, <laughs> which is like code for I don't want to talk to you anymore, or... They go, wow, well, that's interesting. You seem normal and something like that. And we start talking. <laughs> and invariably, it will lead to some sort of spiritual discussion. And instead of saying, like, you know, how many engines does this plane have? Oh, four. That reminds me of four spiritual laws. Instead of doing that, <laughs> which is what I was taught to do, many times what I'll do, and not, not, not dial into this because this really is amazing, is I'll just share with them what I'm reading right now. Like, I'm going to share with you guys a book here I'm reading right now by Philip Yancey, his new one on grace. Say I'm reading this on a plane. I'll just say, yeah, you know, I'm a pastor. I got to tell you, this is an amazing book I'm reading on grace. In fact, Yancey tells a story in here that's really cool. And, and I see where that goes. What am I doing? I'm sharing where I'm at with God right now. And, and if people are interested and, and say, tell me more then I, I, I tell them more. Sometimes I'm preparing sermons on a plane. I was doing this last year when I was preparing Galatians. And the guy goes, what are you doing? Like, you got a Bible in front of you and notes and all this. And I said, yeah, I'm a pastor. I'm preparing for a sermon this Sunday. i got to tell you, this passage here is amazing. It talks about how the fact that we're saved by, by, by faith and not by works. Doesn't that kind of blow your mind? Because everybody thinks it's works, but it's really faith. You, that just blows me away. And, and I see what they do with that. What am I doing? I'm just sharing with them where I'm at right now, where God has me right now. See, here's the deal. You can do that. That which you have seen, that which you have felt, that which you have heard, that, that, that where you are right now, God wants you to be a witness to that. And that's life-giving. In a sense, the pressure's off. He's working in your life. You're his follower. Share that. Be a witness to that. And see where God takes you with that. Eventually leads to amazing conversations. And then as you're chewing on what that means for you in your daily life, I want you to consider a second implication in the form of application that this idea of witness means for us. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but this is important from the text here. And that is that as you act as a witness of the incarnate Jesus relate to the other person as human being to human being i think it's really important for christians today and it's fascinating here in the text i don't know if you caught it or not but there's a very unique way that john words his opening discussion here of being a witness look again at how he starts off this discussion in verse 6 he says there was a man sent from god whose name was john I love the English Standard Version here. It's a little bit weak in its translation here. I'm going to tell you why. That, that phrase, there was a man, I put it in yellow, there was a man. It's actually two Greek words and it's the Greek word egeneto, which means to come into being, to be made. It's the same word used in verse 3 where it says Jesus made this world. Same word used here that we translate simply here was. There was made, there came into being, And then the second word is anthropos, which simply means man, where we get the English word anthropology from, the study of man. And so the most rudimentary translation of this passage, now here's where it gets life-giving, is this. There came into being a man sent from God whose name was John. And what most commentators point out is that what John, the writer here, is trying to get across is that John the Baptist was simply another man. He was made in the image of God. He was made by God, just like all other people. He was another human being who was sent by God to bear witness to other human beings about God. Life on life. There was a man sent by God whose name was John. And so the point is clear. When you and I act as witnesses, it's not some one-up thing going on here where we, the enlightened, share with the rest of dopey creation who hasn't found Jesus yet, how they can get their act together. That would be arrogant. That would be kind of like us lording over other people. And I know it's hard for you to picture Christians doing that, but just go with it for a minute. But that's not what God wants. No, it's one human being, a man made by God, sharing with other human beings what they have experienced with God up to this point and I truly believe that if more followers of Jesus would approach others this way we'd feel a lot less pressure amen and so would they this idea of, of, of being his witness would become more of an organic natural human to human activity that God designed it to be and listen what others who have not found Jesus yet most need from us is our ability to love them, to listen to them, and then to share with them in appropriate ways one human being to another human being. There was a man sent from God, and he had a name, and it was John. And then finally, but certainly not last or third in order, as you simply share what you know, one human being to another, here's the third thing, and that is that as you act as a witness of the incarnate Jesus, remember, it's God's deal, and the results are in his hands amen to that that is just so true i want you to look one last time at our passage before us in john 1 and notice verse 8 this is really good stuff john makes clear to say he john the baptist was not the light but came to bear witness about the light most commentators point out that john's going at great length to make this clear because he's kind of repeating himself john the baptist was not the center of all of this and neither are you or i John was simply a player, and as we've seen, a string in a long line of amazing players like the Trinity, the Bible, the works of Jesus, and other holy men. So at the end of the day, John's only role was to be a witness, sharing what he knew and experienced, human being to human being, and what comes of that is clearly between God and the other person or persons. And I think that is really important theology for you and I to carry into our daily world. As I said earlier, I feel the pressure just like many of us do, that when I'm in conversation with people that I got to initiate and get it right and get clear and all this other stuff. And and, and sometimes there's so much pressure, I just don't even want to talk to people anymore. And and the reality is what pulls me kind of off the ledge of that pressure is when I realize to this point here that, that I am just one link In most likely a very long chain of God working in and through another person. And that the pressure's off. Because at the end of the day, this is God's show. It's God's deal. And he loves this person that's in front of me, and he might want to use me in this way or that way. I really don't have any idea. I'm just to be a witness and let God do with it what he will. And and I've told you guys this before, but it just blows me away how God hammers this home to me in ways that are almost comical, if not insulting to my personhood. (laughs) When I first became a Christian, my mom was not a believer yet, and I prayed for five years. Every day for five years, I have the journals to prove it that my mom would come to know the Lord. And I had numerous conversations with my mom about the Lord, in which I just, you know, would, would teach her and talk to her and communicate this and pray with her and answer all her questions. And I was just reveling in the day because I really believed it would come that my mom would accept the Lord with me. And one day when I was in college, late college, early seminary, she came home and she had kind of a bewildered look on her face and she says, I, I just accepted the Lord. I think, like, how'd you accept the Lord? And it was through a woman in my church in, in, in Chagrin Falls there, and my, this woman had been talking to my mom, and my mom was ready, and she, she prayed to receive Christ. And I remember thinking at that moment, it was not supposed to happen this way. <laughs> That's not the plan. The plan, I worked I, five years, five years. I got the journals to prove it. I was supposed to be there. I was supposed to be the one leading my mom to the Lord. But that was not what God had in mind, not at all. It was very humbling. A few years ago, it happened to me again. I, I, I was leading a men's retreat of about 500 men at this church, and there was one guy that was there that we were all praying for, a lot of them, but there's one guy whose wife attended here, and we had been praying he would come know the Lord, and it was kind of one of these important things, and on Friday night, I was giving the gospel, and as I was giving the gospel up at, at Williams at this men's retreat, I had this guy in mind, and I even caught his eye a couple times, and I got to tell you, I was on that night. I really was. <laughs> I mean, I was prepared, I was winsome, I was bold, but not too bold, I was clear, I was passionate. I thought, how could you resist this? That was kind of my mindset. And at the end of it, I, I led people in a prayer, stand if you're ready to receive Jesus, and some people stood, but not him, not him. And I remember thinking, well, it just must not be his time, it's kind of a bummer, but you know, the, the Lord was honored, and it was a good night. The next morning, somebody came up to me and said, did you know that so-and-so accepted Christ? I was like, you're kidding me. I I didn't see him stand. He said, "Now he accepted Christ this morning in small group. (laughs) And again, I'm going, well, what happened last night? (laughs) I got robbed of that experience. But actually, I didn't. I didn't. Do you know why I didn't? Because I'm guessing that in a humble way, the Lord might have used last night, right? As one link in a very long chain... Of working in this guy's life to the point that now he's a believer, public and talking, being his own witness about Jesus, and the Lord used me, but but not in the way that I might have thought. And you see, that happens to me all the time. I got tons of stories like that. Some of you are thinking, "Well, you're not a very good evangelist." Maybe I'm not, <laughs> but I think I am a good witness, and I, and I witness a lot, and it humbles me how God uses that. Remember guys, you aren't the light. The Bible says you have a light in you. The Beatitudes talk about that, but you aren't the light. At best you get to bear witness to the light along with an entire first string of cosmic players, and what God does with that in his timing and in his ways is 100% up to him. So go back to where we started to this morning. Let's 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 just wrap this up right now. If you follow Jesus, You are his witness. You can't escape that. It's a good thing. And this Christmas season, you're going to get an amazing opportunity, if you already haven't, to be wide-eyed, open-hearted, people-loving, and Christ-centered. That's my hope and prayer for you as a follower of Jesus. You get to share what you have experienced in Christ one life at a time, one human being to another human being. And the pressure's off. Why? Because God loves this world more than you ever could. And he wants everybody, he says everybody, to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So he's constantly working in the people around you. And it's his deal. And in the best of days, he wants to use you, which is a miracle in and of itself, as he uses me. And so let's simply be his witnesses this season. Let's share what we know. Let's be human beings to fellow human beings as we love and listen and share. And then let's step aside and let God do what he wants to do. Why don't you bow with me let's pray. Father, I thank you for this life, life life-giving term, witness. Uh, Lord, we've messed it up in some ways today and added maybe too little to it or too much to it. But I thank you that John, who obviously fell in love with this term, inspired by you, um, helps us understand it rightly. And God, I thank you that we get the opportunity to be a witness of what you have done in this world through that which we have known and experienced. And I thank you, Lord, that there's a whole chorus of witnesses from the Trinity to the Bible to the works of Jesus to the ministry of the Holy Spirit to other people. And that, Lord, we get to be one link in a long chain of your amazing activity in people's lives. So, Lord, here's the deal. We got lots of people in our lives this Christmas season that we love and that we would love to see draw closer to you or even find you for the very first time in their lives. And so, Father, we pray that this Christmas season through meals and through gift giving and through football games and through spending time with people, that, God, we would be just attuned to the fact that we're your witness, that that we would be, Lord, if you will, on our best behavior, that we'd be, Lord, focused upon others in a loving Christ-centered way, and that, Lord, as you use us, God, we will step aside and let you do only what you can do in the lives of people around us. God, focus us on Christ this season, too. Help us to never take our eyes off him. He is our Lord and our Savior, our joy and our hope. We pray, Lord, especially for this afternoon, that as we uh, have the last two times of Winter Wonder, where lots of people come to our church who don't normally do, that you might surprise them with joy, with a revelation of yourself, and bring them, Lord, to an understanding, a relationship with Jesus, Lord, even through our times this afternoon. And we pray these things in Christ's name, and we all say together, Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great day.